Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. What's up, guys? So this is our interview with Mr. Dave Asprey. Uh, if you have not heard of Dave, you are in for quite the surprise. Dave is one of the most remarkable human beings, I think, that is that is doing the work that he's doing and just fascinating individual who I have looked up to for quite some time and it took some time to to get Dave on the show and it, it was worth all the work because this conversation gets real, it gets raw, we get into some deep core fundamental issues and you guys are you guys are really, really truly gonna enjoy this conversation and I encourage you to go pick up a copy of Dave's book, Bulletproof Diet. Uh, it's more than just a diet book. It, it has more information than just diet-related material. So I th- you'll enjoy the book. Also, we are listener-supported. So the reason that we... I mean, it, it would be easy for us to go out and pick up a sponsor and feed you guys advertisements. I I really want to be different than other podcasts. I want to be different than other shows. And so if you guys donate to, and if you guys value what we're doing and, and you value that principle that we don't want to shove ads in your face every time you, you listen to the show, then get to our donate page, thehumanxp.com slash donate and and help us at least cover the overhead costs of operating and you know what we're doing you know just the everyday costs because right now i'm paying for that out of pocket so if you enjoy this and i really think you will um make sure that you get to us on facebook twitter at the human xp and if you can get on iTunes and, and leave us a review. You guys are going to love this episode. I had so much fun talking to Dave and we're definitely going to be seeing more of him on, on HXP. So thank you guys so much for listening. The human experience is becoming bulletproof as we speak to my guest, Mr. Dave Asprey. Dave, it's an honor, sir. Welcome to HXP. Xavier, happy to be here. So Dave, I mean, you, your story is so empowering. You've done so much. You went from weighing 300 pounds to completely turning that around. You were selling t-shirts on Usenet. You made $6 million by the time you were 26. Why don't you kind of break down that story for us? And uh, Sure. I would like to say that I made $6 million selling t-shirts, um, but I didn't. <laughs> I made $6 million at the company that hosted Google's very first servers uh, when Google was just uh, two guys out of Stanford and, uh, well, uh, thousands and thousands of other e-commerce companies like Yahoo and and other big brands that you know today. Uh, I was a a co-founder of a consulting group at a company that really held most of the internet as it grew in its first big spurt after the browser was created. Uh, the t-shirt business, though, was the first e-commerce ever. I sold, I didn't know it at the time, that it was impactful. I sold a t-shirt that said caffeine, my drug of choice, with a picture of the caffeine molecule to 12 countries out of my dorm room. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought, right? Right. Uh, along the way, though, uh, I had been fat uh, as a teenager, uh, as, a, as a kid. And after my, in fact, right about when I was selling t-shirts, I hit 300 pounds and my sort of fat-proof photo is a picture of me from Entrepreneur Magazine when I was about 23, weighing 300 pounds. And I, I put it up on the screen when I give a talk, and no one thinks it's me because I, I don't even look like the same person. Yeah. I, I also ended up 
I'm in Silicon Valley. I'm working really hard. I'm running a program at the University of California uh, to teach working engineers how the internet works so they can take like old school engineering and make it work with these big scalable systems. And I'm also working in this demanding job, like designing infrastructure for, for these companies. And I started to have brain fog. Like I couldn't remember anything that happened in a meeting. And I was just not, just not feeling good. And, and things weren't working. It was, it was pretty scary, to be perfectly honest. And I went online and I found something from the 80s called Smart Drug News. And now I'm actually good friends with the guy who wrote it. And this was about nootropics almost before they had that name. And I, I ordered $1,000 worth of nootropics from Europe. And I started taking them and I got my brain back. Mm-hmm. And I used that to continue my career. I, I got an Ivy League MBA at Wharton using a big handful of smart drugs. I ended up taking modafinil, the uh, kind of famous limitless drug, for eight years almost every day. And I'm, I've been off of it for almost four years now because with all the other hacks that I do, I, I don't need it. Like it doesn't even do much for me anymore compared to where my brain is every day. It's like I'm on it all the time without needing to take it. So that, that's kind of my story. I, I ended up spending, now it's well north of half a million dollars and 15 years looking at everything you can do to increase human performance uh, cognitively and to some extent physically. But I had arthritis in my knees when I was 14. I, I've been fat my whole life. I had three knee surgeries before I was 22. <laughs> like, I, I'm not interested in running a marathon. In fact, the first guy who ran a marathon died. And I, I'm pretty darned interested, though, in living to 180 years old or more. And that's, that's my goal. So I, I look at things from an anti-aging perspective. I've run an anti-aging nonprofit group called Silicon Valley Health Institute uh, for more than a decade, where we bring world-class people in to give talks. Guys like Aubrey de Grey have been there uh, to the lay public about, here's what you can do to have more control of your biology. So this is the, the basis of my work. I'm, now I'm a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, Bulletproof Radio has... Uh, we're, we're pushing almost 40 million downloads, which is, wow. uh, I, I've actually killed uh, at this point about 135 people. <laughs> if, if you look at, uh, if you look at the number of hours that Bulletproof content has consumed, it's about 130 something. <laughs> I, I feel a great sense of obligation there to, uh, uh, to just not waste people's time. So I, 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 Bulletproof Radio and, and the content I do, it, it's, it's got its little bit of humor in it, but it, it's not a bunch of dick jokes. And I, I just believe in adding as much value as I can. And I, I look at everything I write as if, if someone had told me this when I was 16 or 20 or 25, if I had just known these things, what would my life have been like? Like it would have been easier and I would have done more. So I, I just put myself back to where I was and sort of send a message back through time. And, and my first work on, on the Bulletproof blog was literally, if only someone had told me this, <clears throat> if only someone had told me this, it would have changed my life. So maybe five people will read this and it'll have that big of an impact. And then it's a huge win, even if you know, I spent hundreds of hours making content, but it affected tens of thousands of hours of other people's lives. I would actually have felt really good about that. I was already a VP at a big company. I already had stock options. Like I didn't do it to, to start a company. I, I just did stuff that I wanted. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when you say that you've explored different biohacking uh, techniques, I mean, you you really mean that. I think I think I saw an image of you in you know, the, the other day. Uh, you're in surrounded by this sort of red light, and you, you've got um, you've got this this meter on measuring something i don't know what you were doing I, i'm but, still um, i'm still wearing that right now <laughs> okay what what is that exactly? <laughs> that's, what are you a, measuring? that's a a 14 day heart sensor like a hospital grade ekg and it collects data on every single heartbeat and then at the end of a couple weeks you send it in they download the data and then they look for how your autonomic nervous system is doing. And it, it's, it's a very advanced cardiac function test, usually used for people who are like gonna die. <laughs> or, are you I mean, checking variability with your heart rate with that? Well, I'm tracking uh, every single heartbeat. So you can certainly calculate variability and that's the measure of autonomic nervous system function. But it also just gives you a 24 hour picture 
to see, okay, what happens with exercise? What happens while you're sleeping? And it's one thing to take your resting heart rate when you wake up. It's another thing to have a graph of your heart rate while you're resting all night long, every single second. So there's a lot of powerful info in there. But I, I did something bad last night. So I've been wearing this thing for a couple of days. Uh, and it's, it's a little bit bittersweet because I, I helped to create a competitor to this company in 2003, <laughs> a venture-backed startup that uh, didn't go so well. So here it is. I am using our competitor's stuff more than 10 years later. I, I hopped into one of the giant pieces of biohacking gear I have here. It looks like a, in fact, it is a, a cockpit-like thing from a jet fighter. And you sit in it for 20 minutes and it brings the air pressure down to the same air pressure you'd have at Mount Everest. So 22,000 feet and then back to sea level and then back to 22,000 feet. So it rapidly changes air pressure, which changes the water in your cells. Like it, it's a very powerful thing. Uh, Tony Robbins also uh, has one of these things. Uh, it's something that I have at uh, Bulletproof Labs down in Santa Monica, which, which is opening soon. And uh, the problem is the rapid changes like that. I think I cracked the sensor because it started blinking and looking very strange on my chest. And then now it looks dead. So I'm sad. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, to, to backtrack a little bit here, I mean, if out of all of these different sort of biohacking mechanisms that you've, you've used, I mean, is there a single one that is your favorite or something that you kind of recommend to others to, to use the most? The single most powerful thing you can manipulate in the environment around you is your food. There, uh, there's a definition for biohacking, one that I wrote in the very early days, like, like when I was working to create biohacking as a movement. It's not anti-aging, it's not health and wellness, it, it's biohacking. And the definition was, and still is, it's changing the environment around you and inside of you so that you have full control of your own biology so you can do whatever you want, right? So there's someone listening to this right now who's like, dude, I want to put on 50 pounds of lean muscle mass and look like a balloon animal. And like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I think it's amazing and I've learned so much from bodybuilders. Uh, and I, I use bodybuilding techniques, but my goal is to look, uh, quote, almost muscular, uh, which is uh, an only slight insult that the New York Times uh, pointed at me that I actually love. Because <laughs> that's where I want to be. Like, I, if, if you're too muscular, it doesn't make you live longer. And if you're not muscular enough, it doesn't make you live longer. So I want lots of lean mass, but not excessive lean mass, even though I'm kind of would like, it'd be really cool to look like a bodybuilder, but I don't think I want to do that to my biology. So th this whole perspective, you change the environment around you, we have more control of the environment than we ever have. And the whole universe of things you can change is light is terribly important and it's getting much worse in the last three or four years. LED lighting is, is trashing people's biology. And I've been talking about this for, geez, almost 10 years, even with compact fluorescent lighting before that. People don't know it affects their brain, it affects their mitochondria, it affects their sleep. Uh, I manufacture screens that shield some of the more harmful parts of the spectrum so they don't get into your eyes before you go to sleep when you look at your iPhone. So those are all important. They're quite important, actually. The magnetic fields you're exposed to and the EMFs, they do affect biological function at a core level. And all of those things, though, pale in comparison to how you're going to feel if you eat a, a bowl of MSG covered in sugar <laughs> and, uh, and hydrogenated fat. Like, like you cannot out-hack crappy food. It's just not going to be done. If you fix the food as an input to your biology, and that means, so I wrote a whole book about it, it's called The Bulletproof Diet, but that means eating a much higher specific fat diet. And if you eat a higher canola oil diet, it doesn't work. <laughs> and what you're doing is you're increasing the percentage of calories from the right fats to more than 50% of what you eat. And for a lot of people, it's 70 or 85%. You're going to be in ketosis, this fat burning mode, that was popularized by Atkins. You, you're in that some of the time, but not all the time. And you cheat. You use something called brain octane oil, which is now the largest source of, of exogenous ketones. And what that means is uh, ketones are fat-burning molecules that fuel your brain in a different way. And exogenous means from outside your body. So literally, I pour a special fat on my food that converts to fat energy that certain cells in the brain prefer to sugar. So my brain runs on sugar and fat at the same time which is biologically very difficult to do. Most people, they're only running on sugar 
or they've been fasting for four days or they're on a crazy aggressive paleo or Atkins diet and then they're only on ketones for the most part. So for me, things are easier because I'm kind of powering my brain in a different way. And, and that's what I would recommend to people. Get rid of inflammatory foods and start eating more of the right kinds of fat, including grass-fed butter, including coconut oil, uh, which is uh, a really cheap source of lauric acid, which is a, a pretty healthy oil that's falsely been sold by some companies as like a super MCT oil. It actually doesn't have the magic powers of real MCT oils. MCT oils are something I popularized as an ingredient in Bulletproof Coffee, which is what I'm best known for. I mean, I, I think one of the, the funnier things going back to kind of food and, and being healthy, I think one of the, the funnier things that you've said about it is that women can smell men who are fertile and, and healthy. Uh, that, that's so true. And it's, it's kind of funny, but uh, women and men smell each other anyway. And that's a part of why we're attracted to someone. There are pheromones and things like that. But if you have bad bacteria in your gut, like our systems are so finely attuned. We want to connect with someone who is, is fertile. And if you are, are fertile, as a man or a woman, you actually do smell better. I don't mean fertile as in I'm ready to conceive right now. You know, I'm, I'm ovulating. I just mean fertile as in my biology is healthy enough to have a healthy baby. That's why guys are attracted to curves because a woman with curves has more DHA fat stored in her hips and thighs. And that's, actually why the first child is usually the most intelligent because they get the mother's DHA into their brain. And in fact, my first book was about how to have a, a healthier, smarter baby. And it's just that, that sort of thing. We're wired that way. So yeah, if, if you're eating junk food, you're not going to smell good on a very subtle level. And you, you can probably still meet people who also eat junk food. But when you're really healthy, your BO drops and your pheromones go up and that does change your attractiveness potential. And going back to, you know, just kind of hacking your brain and your brain waves and it, the idea of neuroplasticity and how science is, is changing the way kind of we see the brain. And I mean, the old paradigm was that the brain was one specific way. It stayed that way through your life and then you died. And now it's, it's more of yes, your brain has the ability to regrow these, these synapses in, in your brain and, and create new pathways. And I mean, that's, that's something that you kind of focus on, right? I spent a lot of time looking at my brain because it turns out I had brain damage. <laughs> when I was getting my MBA at Wharton, I almost failed. I would sit down to take a, a, a test and I would get 100% on the first question, I'd get 70% on the second, 30 on the third, and after that, I felt like I was completely disabled. Like, I, I just couldn't think. I'm like, wow, I, I thought I knew that, but I, I was starting to like question my, my self-worth, literally. So I went out and I got radioactive sugar injected in my arm, and then we did something called a SPECT scan, which is now pretty well respected. Dr. Daniel Amen, who's become a, a personal friend, is... Uh, the guy who popularized this over immense opposition from science trolls. And now it, it, he's been proven right, I think you could say. At the time, it was, it was a life-changing thing. Because here I am thinking, I'm failing because either I'm not good enough, or I'm not smart enough, or uh, I'm just not trying hard enough. And I'm working at a company, we ended up selling the company for $600 million in value. And uh, so I'm doing all right there. But at, at school, then I'm, I'm just scraping by. So what, what happened there is Daniel's scan, the SPEC scan, showed me that when I tried to pay attention to something, that I had no metabolic activity in the front of my brain whatsoever. In fact, the, the psychiatrist who interpreted my results just looked at me and he said, Dave, I don't know how you're standing here in front of me. Inside your brain is total chaos. You have the best camouflage of anyone I've ever met. Wow. Um, his perspective was that I was hitting him up for Adderall like any decent college student would. <laughs> and when he saw my actual quantified like metabolic activity in the brain, he was floored. And my reason for sharing this with you right now is that, look, okay, Ivy League MBA, like one of the top three business schools in the country, depending on what ranking you want to look at, uh, successful startup acquired for hundreds of millions of dollars. Dude, I was kicking ass. And I was pushing so hard and I wasn't getting the results for the level of pushing that I had. And I, I was liberated by these results because I'm like, wait, it's not a moral failing. 
it's not an effort failing. It's a biological thing, and I can hack biology. Right? Hacking your morals is very different. Like hacking some inherent weakness or character flaw, you're probably screwed if that's really what it's about. And most people believe that's what it's about. It's not about effort. It's not about trying harder. It's not about willpower. It's actually hmm. biology. Wow. That's it's ingenious, man. I, I love it. I, uh, you know, I admittedly, I, I work really hard as well. And I, I, um, I'm not the best with diet. I mean, I, I eat what I can as a necessity type of thing. And, and, and that's kind of how it stands for me, you know? And, and there's a desire to change that. There's a genuine desire to, you know, match how hard I work to putting that effort, that same effort into my food and what I'm putting into my body. Um, it, where, I mean, where do you think your greatest breakthrough as far as what you were consuming and, and how it affected you? And where did that, where did that happen for you? Well, a long time ago, I was in my early 20s. I'm, I'm 43 right now. So this is about 20, 18, 20 years ago. I was probably around 280 pounds. I'd lost a little bit of weight. And I say I've lost 100 pounds of fat. I've actually probably lost like 200 pounds of fat because you lose 20 pounds, you gain 30, lose 30, you gain 40. And everyone who's fat and has been fat for a little while understands that dynamic. It, it's horrible and there's a hormonal reason for it. It's not because you, know, you have no willpower. It's because of a hormone called ghrelin and one called CCK. By the way, you can hack those with bulletproof coffee and things like that. But uh, for me, I decided I was not going to have any more knee surgeries. And I decided I was going to lose the weight. And it was the most important thing I could do in my life. So I'm still finishing up my sixth year to get my four-year degree. <laughs> and uh, which, by the way, is a BS in computer information systems with a, a concentration in decision support which is part of the, the artificial intelligence uh, world. So that, that was what I ended up graduating in. But I, I'm going to classes, I'm, I'm working in IT at a hospital, and I'm working out for an hour and a half every day, six days a week, no matter what else is on my calendar. I put it as the most important thing I could do. I did this for a year and a half, right? Half cardio, which is a treadmill at 15 degrees, uh, not running, but walking really fast uh, with a backpack on some of the time. And the rest of it is weights, heavy weights. So at the end of this time, I can max almost every single machine at the 24-hour fitness. I can bench press my thin friends will eat french fries and I'm eating salads and crap. I was still fat and I was just like, man, it's because I'm weak, right? It's because I didn't try hard enough. It's because I couldn't say no to you know, one extra leaf of lettuce and all that, that just stupid programming that people have because we believe that it's about exercise more and eat less. Well, I, I pushed that as hard as it could and, and one day I just kind of threw my hands, I'm like, this just isn't working. What, what's wrong? Like, and I, was, I thought it was me. And, and there was this moment where I'm like, wait, it's not me. I'm doing what they said. Like I'm eating less than 2000 calories a day, or usually around 1800. I cut my fat, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing all, I'm not doing well. So I was at this coffee shop. I was getting like a triple espresso, something or another. And there was a bodybuilding magazine. Now, I'm in a farming community in central California in 1990-something. And I don't know, back then, you didn't really read bodybuilding magazines unless you like to look at pictures of guys in, in uh, bikinis and stuff. Uh, at least not in my high school. Like, like that, We had a Future Farmers of America chapter that was pretty strong there. And... I, uh, so I'm at this coffee shop and there's a magazine with the big ripped bodybuilder on the cover. And it, it's like how you can get abs. I'm like, I want abs. Like I've got flabs right now and I'm, I'm at my wits end, but you know, I'll be damned if I'm not strong. So I opened up the magazine and there was an article. I wish I knew which one it was. I, I wish I'd saved it. And it was a guy saying, you know what? Even fruit can make you fat. Like carbs make you fat. Who would have thought? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's what I've been doing. So I, started cutting carbs and I wasn't that good at it back then. I hadn't done my homework. So I, I was having like lots of cottage cheese in the morning, but I was also having some orange juice with it because I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And I ended up losing 50 pounds, like half the weight I had to lose in about three months. And in retrospect, I also cut out gluten, which was a major thing for me. When I got rid of, of lots of the, the carbs and I got rid of, of gluten, not not only did I lose that 50 pounds, I also um, I had a personality change. 
I actually became a nicer person. And the people closest to me, my family and, and girlfriends and whatnot, they all said it like, wow, <laughs> you're nicer. And I noticed that my middle finger wasn't quite as muscular uh, after driving. <laughs> and I, I just, uh, I, I, I felt something shift in my brain. And now this is actually wi widely recognized. You look at books like Wheat Belly and Grain Brain, uh, both written by, by friends. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of blown away, but yeah, that, that did happen to me and I did notice it. And that set me off on a path that was like, well, if that much of how I feel and, and just the way I interact with the world is controlled by my food, I better own that food and I should make a study of it. I, I mentioned earlier my, <laughs> uh, my degree, decision support systems. This is how do you use technology to look at huge amounts of data to make better decisions? Yeah. That's what I do in my life. That's what I did to help build internet infrastructure, like the world's first uh, pay-as-you-go cloud computing thing. Uh, just, just everything that I do. It, it's like I'm a walking event. It's all correlation. tied in. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a way of thinking, and it's a hacker way of thinking. And I, I really was a computer hacker. Like, like. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's why this works, and that's why I, I like the word biohacking. And my job at Bulletproof is to teach people how to think about this. Uh, the the other thing that I, I put in as part of my mission, Xavier, is something that I learned at, at UC Santa Barbara. I took a class called Religion and Violence. This was taught by a rabbinical scholar, and this guy was really good. And we were listening to Jim Jones and, and looking at Hamas and, and all these these times when uh, religion would cause violence. And, and I was really kind of tormented by why could this happen? And my assumption was that all, all these religious radicals were just irrational. And I, I said that and, and when he, as an answer to a question to the professor in class. And he laughed and said, no, no, no. These are very rational beings. I'm like, how could you blow people up and drink Kool-Aid and all, all this stuff? It, it, it doesn't make any sense. And he said, you know, it doesn't make any sense because of your assumptions. If you look at their assumptions about reality, what they're doing makes perfect sense. And if you look at what you're doing with your assumptions about reality, it also makes sense. So I realized that with, with Bulletproof, I can help people to reset some of their assumptions or at least to question their assumptions because my assumption, work out more and eat less will make you lose weight, it was false. In fact, the vast majority of the assumptions about how the human body works we practice behaviors because we think they're going to work because of assumptions that we never questioned. So I learned to question those things and I teach people to question them and then to think differently once they're willing to question their assumptions. Yeah, and that's what, you know, that's what I love about what you're doing and what you do and how you're able to affect people and it's you know it's really about kind of the art of living and minimizing the things that affect us ad adversely and kind of taking you know the power back and you know gaining gaining the power to control uh what we put into our bodies how how what we put into our bodies affects us and and you know really just just having that sense of okay well you know it's it's my body and and I will choose to live this way. Here's what few people teach. Most people will say, here's what you do to get stronger. <laughs> but they don't tell you, here's what to do to be less weak. And they're different. In, in the, the Bulletproof Diet book, I, I did my best to, to highlight that difference. And the first thing you do is you make sure you have enough energy by eating fat, eating enough food that your body can use. The second thing you do, before you even think about micronutrients and all that stuff, is you get rid of things that make you weak. And I, I came up with a, a list of suspect foods that for large percentages of the population, they cause problems. So one in five people listening to this, 20% of the population, they get rheumatoid arthritis from eating potatoes and tomatoes and eggplants. Right, because they have uh, genes that cause them to express certain types of polysaccharides on cells in their body that stick to chemicals that plants make so we won't eat them. Mm -hmm. It's a stupid thing, right? But if you don't know that that could be a problem and you've lived your entire life with musculoskeletal pain and if you stopped eating that stuff for one week, you could figure out if you were one of those one in five. Like, 
it doesn't matter how much you exercise, how many performance enhancing substances you take or anything else. If every single day you're smacking yourself over the head by doing something that's biologically incompatible with you, it seems to me that stopping the stuff that makes you weak is a lot easier than adding more muscle mass or adding more IQ points or anything else. So most of my best hacks are actually about stopping things that were limiting me, not doing things to enhance my performance. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, that that makes more sense than the other way. I mean, I, I know that you you work hard and you're always kind of on an airplane or, or something. And so you're you, and you're pu- you're pushing your body a lot. And so how, how do you deal with um, stress, uh, the, the impacts of, you know, stress on your body and and just the, the hard work aspect of it? There are two kinds of, of stress on the body. Uh, there's uh, hormetic stress, uh, which is stress that makes you stronger. And then there's uh, chronic stress or non-hormetic stress, which is stuff that just makes you weak. I minimize very religiously the stuff that makes you weak. So exercise is hormetic stress. It tears down muscle so you'll grow muscle back. Uh, you expose yourself to something that you're afraid of so that you can wire yourself to not be afraid of it anymore so that you can you know, face your fears and things like that. Those are positive stresses. If your body feels like you're going to die every time an email comes in, which is actually the case for most people uh, because our bodies are really bad at sorting out whether an email that might be a threat is any different than a tiger that might be a threat. So our, our threat detection systems are woefully inadequate for the world we live in and they keep getting triggered by stupid stuff. So I've rewired a lot of that. And I say rewired, I've spent 10 weeks of my life doing uh, 40 years of Zen neurofeedback training where literally I'm spending all week with electrodes glued to my head in a chamber. Uh, You're not in the chamber 24 hours a day, but to the extent I can be in it, uh, listening to my brainwaves and learning how to control them and going through every single bad programming in my mind and pulling it out and putting in more appropriate biological responses. Emails wow. come in, I do not feel a stress response from emails. My inbox is full, I do not feel a stress response from it. And my inbox is empty, I do not feel a sense of relief from that. I have let that go. <laughs> so I also minimize a physical stress that isn't beneficial. So I, I don't eat foods that cause inflammation in me. I'd rather fast. In fact, fasting isn't, that's actually a hormetic stress if you fast a normal amount. Uh, eating foods that are bad for you is oftentimes not a hormetic stress. It's just something that makes you weak. So I I manage my energy very, very carefully. And what I found is that I have more energy than people 20 years younger than me who work for me. Like I'm up later and I'm full of passion and, and vigor and things I never had when I was 20 or 25. I was, I was like a zombie half the time. I was really tired. I felt hungover even when I, I wasn't drinking and I just didn't have the energy to bring it. So I've made a study of having the energy to bring it. I practice radical recovery where I used to do this exercise six days a week kind of thing. Now I look at how much sleep did I get last night? I'll tell you, uh, last night I was up till 4.30 in the morning because I'm working on my next New York Times bestseller, uh, which is about... Uh, about mitochondrial function and about uh, what we're capable of doing when you really hack your biology. And, well, that was 4.30. I don't know, it's 11.30 now, so uh, do the math, right? It's been seven hours since then, but I've been up for several hours. I made coffee with my kids this morning and all that. Mm-hmm. Do I sound like I'm dragging? Like I'm not. No, no. I can do that day after day. It's not good for me. If I do that for a long period of time, I do that for a couple of nights, it doesn't matter because my ability to make electrons in my cells is higher than it was and because I'm not wasting any of them on worry and on fear because I've trained my heart rate variability the way I I teach clients to do it where my fight or flight response is fundamentally different than that of a normal person and I'm an abnormal person, I'm kind of like that. Is is meditation and and mindfulness a big thing for you? Meditation and mindfulness is almost everything. The only problem is, try having meditation and mindfulness without enough electrons in your brain. It doesn't work. So what I recommend for people is, number one, get your biology in order. And then, number two, practice mindfulness, practice awareness. I've been to Tibet and learned meditation from the masters on purpose because I'm like, well, 
I'm a Silicon Valley engineer. I've tapped out everything I can think of here. Uh, my, my strictly rational view of reality doesn't match the experiences that I'm having, and I'm not getting all the results I want from it. So I've done ayahuasca with shamans. I did that what, 15 years ago in the jungles in Peru. Uh, so I've, I've done art of living, breathing exercises that are practiced by tens of millions of people, uh, mostly in India. Uh, I've met Nobel laureates uh, doing that kind of breathing. And very powerful entrepreneurs, uh, we used to get together when I lived in Silicon Valley, every, uh, every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. we'd sit and do an hour, hour and a half of these funky breathing exercises because it, it just was such a performance enhancer. So I, I do all those things, and even 40 Years of Zen, which is where I've had the most progress, it's called 40 Years of Zen because the idea is that in, in a few days of training, you can teach someone's brain to have the same brain waves as someone who spent 20 to 40 years of doing daily Zen meditation. So I, I cheat in my meditation. If I meditate, there's computers telling my brain, no, do it this way, do it better, do it faster. So I, I might be one of those you know, hurry, meditate faster people, but I walk with mindfulness. Like it's built into what I do and I, I pay attention to what I say. I pay attention not just to how I act, but to whether my internal state matches my external state. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. gives you profound resilience, especially when you get uh, trolls and, and just all these, these crazy people. The more successful you get, the more of them you attract. That was, that, that was going to be something that I led towards. So, I mean, how, how do you deal with that? I mean, there's, I mean, being at the level that you're at, I mean, you must get you know, a lot of people who are trying to debunk your work or just... For, for no reason whatsoever, just don't like you. I mean, how, how do you respond to that? How do you react to that? How do you psychologically deal with that? When, when I first was, was getting going, there's, there's just so much uh, support, and I, I just bring a lot of positive energy to what I'm doing. Like, I, I, I'm already successful enough that I'm, that I'm safe, right? So I'm doing something that, that is here for a mission, uh, and it, it's, it's important work, and, and it's something that I've worked for years in a nonprofit role to try and bring about, and I just couldn't make it happen that way because nonprofits just aren't structured that way. So I'm taking something that for me is, is a passion, and I, I'm taking it out there. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, someone who had been a really big supporter, I, uh, my work changes life, uh, a public figure, uh, basically invested in another company that was competing with me. And longtime Dave Asprey fans know exactly what I'm talking about. And honestly, I don't really, I, I just don't care. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, uh, he invested in another company, had a commercial motivation, and literally went overnight to, uh, you know, Dave Asprey's a scumbag and, and sent like a whole bunch of trolls to like deface my social media pages and all kinds of stuff like that. And it threw me for a loop for a couple months because I'm coming at this from like a mission, like I'm helping yeah. people every day. Like, like sometimes dozens of people are, are like, Dave, you got to understand, I just got my dad back. Like, I, I, I got this one, uh, this one email. Uh, this is a couple years ago, but the guy's like, Dave, uh, I'm emailing you personally because I hope you can help. I'm in the UK. This is before we roasted our coffee in the UK, before you could buy Bulletproof products there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Dave, my dad has terminal brain cancer. Um, he's, he may have a month or six weeks left to live. Um, I can, I only get one good hour a day with him and it's right after he has Bulletproof coffee. He's lucid and the rest of the day he's gone. It's like I ordered Bulletproof, but I can't, uh, like it went to Argentina instead of the UK and I don't know why, but it, like I, I need it. So I like personally FedExed it to him you know, to get around all the customs and all that stuff. But so I come from that sort of thing where I'm like, okay, my work just helped a guy get quality time with his dying dad. Like that's the level um, that I operate at. And I went from that to like people, you know, calling me like a, an asshole, scumbag, snake oil salesman and all that. Uh, so what I did is I went to the 40 years of Zen uh, facilities, <laughs> plugged myself into a neurofeedback machine and I did a, a very structured practice of forgiveness. Uh, and I actually forgave uh, the person for doing this. Uh, I understand, you know, when people come at the world from a threatened perspective, where everything is a takedown, uh, that's that's how they see things. And so this guy's like, I'm going to, you know, have a competing thing with a friend. And so I'm going to attempt to smear Dave's reputation. Mm-hmm. 
okay, a guy who makes a lot of dick jokes just called me a scumbag liar, tried to drag my name through the mud. The amount of stress that I felt over that was all wasted stress, and I don't feel any stress over it anymore. Like, you don't have to like me. I'm going to do the work that I'm going to do here. I honestly, I, I don't care about that stuff anymore at a very deep level because I already let things go. So I actually feel a sense of compassion for the people who want to, uh, you know, come in and try and deface what I do. Um, in fact, yesterday, uh, someone uh, just posted on my uh, uh, on my Facebook page. They called me a quack, and I responded to it. I'm like, I'm like, let me be really clear here. I'm an unlicensed biohacker. I mean, I have lots of doctors as friends. I'm married to one, whatever. But I'm not a doctor. I'm like, so from your perspective, you just upgraded me. Like you just told me you think I'm a physician, even though I'm not. <laughs> like, so here's the deal. Like, like if you're gonna troll me, I would expect you to at least like like do it right. So the right term would be like snake oil salesman, right? And then I linked to my last April Fool's Day post, which was actually about grass-fed snake oil, where we spin the snakes at high speed and then let them go onto a snake sanctuary, dude. Mm -hmm. This stuff, it's laughable. And the other thing, when you get successful, uh, a guy named Peter Sage, who's one of the most popular guests on Bulletproof Radio, yeah, really helped yeah. help me to see this is what happens. Um, you know, the better the, the better you do, the more successful you are, the more people's egos get involved, and the more jealous they get of your success. Yeah, I yeah. get that every day. I, I mean, there's there's people out there who I have supported dramatically in, in getting their message out there. They get jealous and like, why why am I not getting whatever this is? And then all of a sudden, it's like Dave Asprey's a thing, and people make up the weirdest stuff. I mean, there's people who say I, I have cancer. There's people who say I have type two diabetes. There's people who say there's stuff in my products that isn't there. I mean, like just crazy stuff out there. So the number one thing I say is, I'm like, look where that's coming from. And then I keep a little equation in my back pocket, Xavier. And it's one I would encourage everyone who, who's in this role where you're succeeding and there are people trying to, to drag you down. Mm -hmm. It takes a minute or two for a troll to write something on your page or whatever else. Mm -hmm. It takes you about a half a second to click ban delete. <laughs> okay, I win. Every I mean, it's it's time. funny, man. It's like, you know, it's it's great. And I, I love the just the rawness. And I, I can and I can feel, you know, that you actually you do care. And and I mean, I'm I'm kind of the same way. And I, you know, this morning I, I was uh, I was just checking the, the page for the show. And, you know, there was this guy just losing it, losing his mind. I didn't even understand. I was I wasn't really even saying anything. I posted an article and and he just. And, and that's exactly what I did. You know, I just, I just banned him from the page. And, um, but at the same time, you know, I, and it, maybe it'll take me a couple more years or just, you know, maybe it'll just click one day. And, but, you know, it, it, it does affect me a little bit. And, um, it, it affects most people. It, it's supposed to because you're human and you're part of a tribe, Right. And this is our wiring. We are, we're meant to fit in. And at a very core level, we're kind of pack animals. So if you're not a part of the pack, you could die. And the automated defense systems that you have will get triggered by this because you're human. What you can do with deep meditation practice and rescripting practices and, and all, all sorts of different ways uh, for me, it's it's almost all about heart rate variability and like that that deep forgiveness with the electrodes stuck to my head. So I actually have a lie detector telling me whether I've really forgiven <laughs> or not. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you do that, you actually can change your biological response to that. Where I would say 90% of the time, it just doesn't get to me at all. The area where I still have uh, a little bit of a hot button is when I've really provided like like a huge amount of service where I've helped someone. Uh, and then they do like the betrayal thing. I, I've, wow. I've yeah. had times where I'll, I'll take someone, I'll, I'll put them on the show or I'll do something really nice to support them. And then two weeks later, they're like, hey, have you heard my new coffee? It's mold free. It's not actually tested mold free, but I just said it. And they're like, it's like, dude, what the hell? Right? Like, this isn't how we help each other. Like, do something new and interesting and we'll talk about it. But if you're going to knock off my stuff without right. even knocking off right, right. Um, there's another company that that used to used to be a supporter. They're selling uh, some mix of water and, and MCT oil, 
which they know very well doesn't work. It's about 12.5% the strength of what I do. And it's more expensive on a, on a per unit basis, but it's watered down. And they're running around, you know, talking about things like that. That, that one instance, I, I got over it, but um, still, it, it does kind of, it, it does throw me for a loop when someone you're like, okay, like I've invited you to come on my show, or I put you at the Bulletproof Conference, you know, thousands of people, and like shine a spotlight on your work because I think it's worthy. And then you're going to turn around and like tell me I'm an asshole? Like that, yeah. I, I still, that still pushes my buttons for about, usually about an hour or two. And then <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some specific things I can do. Uh, heart rate variability, there's a, that forgiveness thing. Uh, I, can, I have electrodes and EEG machines here. Or I can, I can go to my facility in Seattle where I train my executives and I do the 40 Years of Zen program. Uh, that stuff I, I can really dig deep on. And if that doesn't work, I have in-house legal counsel. <laughs> and I'm not afraid to use them. <laughs> I don't have to pay per hour for attorneys, all right? <laughs> so, like, you want to throw down? Let's throw down. It's going to cost you more than it's going to cost me. Wow, that's... It's funny and kind of, you know, real at the same time, just because, you know, I, it's loyalty is so important. I mean, you have to, you have to be loyal, man, especially to, you know, someone who is offering something to you that you would otherwise, there's, you know, it would take you a long time to see. And, and I agree a hundred percent. I mean, um, that, that betrayal hurts a lot. There's, there's integrity and then there's loyalty. And loyalty is sometimes blind, right? So, so if you're loyal to someone who you know, starts uh, killing babies, you are not acting in integrity. So I, I'm fine. If someone I used to work with decides, all right, I'm, I'm going to sever ties and I'm going to go you know, compete, I, I would say oftentimes that's without integrity. Like if, if, if you know, I'm backing their company or something and they decide to do it, weird stuff like that can happen. But... The, the bigger thing about in- integrity there is that if you feel like to go compete, the first thing you have to do is you have to actually take down the person who helped you before. That's like a really deep level of integrity that's lacking. And that's an area where uh, I think a lot of people carry a lot of shame and fear and, and like all their bad like early childhood experiences are all mushed up in their head. I know because I had all that too. I just unraveled it all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of feel the most compassion for the people who act that way because like they're kind of living in hell and they don't they don't really know it. It's still irritating though because it's like guys like come on don't fart in the elevator like this isn't how we help each other. Like I, right. I have dozens of New York Times best-selling authors who I consider like good friends who've helped me bring the message out and like I, 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 I would do anything for them and, and they would do anything for me and we would never do that to each other. And then every now and then someone shows up and is just like, you know, kind of tries, uh, tries to insert themselves in the community and then just shows up without integrity and they get booted by the immune system of cool people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've noticed that too. And that's, that's the amazing thing about, I think, this community. And I mean, there are good aspects and, and there's there's always going to be those people who kind of are jealous, they're envious, they want what you have and and they're just going to come at you that way. So, I mean, I'm glad we, we covered that. I mean, on a curious note, though, Dave, I mean, if I can ask, uh, how many how many bridges like through, you know, you've been doing this for a while. How many how many bridges do you think have been burned through, you know, launching your, your companies and kind of being at the point you're at? You know, no real bridges uh, have been burned, right? There, there were some times where I, like, oh, I, I thought that person was, was cool or I thought our, our stuff was aligned. There was nothing there, right? This comes down to something that, that arises straight up from meditation and awareness, and, and it's called discernment, right? It's my job as the CEO of Bulletproof and as you know, the, the vanguard of a movement now uh, around biohacking, it, it's actually a huge responsibility to do that. And, and it means I have an even higher bar for when I decide who's going to be a guest on my show. Like a million people might hear what that person has to say. Like I don't want to put someone up there who's, who's going to steer people to do things that are harmful 
or to spread misinformation. I put people, I've had a guy who's a, a radical low fat, like no added fat to your food, any kind of thing. And like, we just agree to disagree on that. And we talk about some other stuff and it's all cool. Like I'm happy to challenge my ideas, but I don't want to harm people. Right. And I don't want to put uh, people who are, are those takedown people who, who believe that, that the way to, the way to win instead of to create something amazing and to share it, is to take down someone else to make themselves look better. It's like, dude, you were bullied in high school. I get it. But now you're like, you know, a 50-year-old adult. So you can let that go now and like, let's do something real, right? My job is to filter those out when I'm hiring people, when I'm partnering with people, when I'm inviting people to, uh, to spend some time in the, the media sphere that, that I've created on the media side of Bulletproof. It's a pretty big thing, and I'm spending more and more of my time on on discernment and just just kind of feeling into it and and using those softer skills, which did not come naturally to me. But that's what you've got to do in a position like this in order to have the maximum positive benefit. I mean, and and Dave, thank you for answering that question. And you know, um, I, a large part of what you talk about as well is is just gratitude. And, and for me, that's a big thing as well. And just being in the space, being here right now, being able to talk to you. And, um, I I have a lot of gratitude for that. I mean, how, how important is gratitude for you? It's the most important thing you can do to reset your nervous system, to get you out of the fight or flight mode. And when I say this until I was 30, I was in the fight or flight mode all of the time. I was born with my umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. I came into the world thinking that it was a hostile place was something that was trying to kill me. And I never dropped that until I did some really deep work. Right. So I, I understand that, that mindset said very, very well. And I don't, I, I, I just don't think that it's, it's necessary for people to be there, but I have been in that state for so much of my life that now I, uh, I spend a lot of time not being there. Yeah. And Dave, when, when we, you know, when we talk about all these, these biohacking tools and kind of re, retooling the way that we, we perceive threats and, and other people, uh, how important is it to really be consistent with, you know, our practice and, and what we're doing to, to kind of maintain those changes? Let's go back to that gratitude hack for getting out of uh, getting out of that fight or flight mode. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense that gratitude would be the antidote for like being fearful all the time, but it's programming in your biology that says, hey, the world is either a fearful place full of threats and you should optimize your biology to survive, or the world is full of, uh, hopefully you don't mind this, but it's full of fucking awesome things and you should program yourself to thrive. Well, gratitude is what does that. So in terms of consistency, every night before bed, I sit down with my two young kids and we do a little gratitude ritual. And I say, tell me three things you're grateful for that happened today. And it could be anything, right? I'm I'm grateful that, you know, we had, uh, you know, pork belly for dinner. <laughs> Fine, right? <laughs> uh, not so long ago, Alan, he was five. He's like, Daddy, I'm grateful for the Big Bang because without it, there wouldn't be anything. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's gratitude for you, right? Uh, it turns out it's really good for them because it resets their nervous system. They sleep the night like so reliably, like, like it's, it's amazing, actually. And uh, I do the same thing with them. I tell them three things I'm grateful for, and sometimes it's it's I'm grateful for things they don't quite understand. But that's the one thing. It, it doesn't cost you anything to write down three things you're grateful for. You do that, you, it's really cool. There's a five minute journal is like a gratitude focused journal that that's out there. I really feel that that is is one of the best things you can do. If you are an experienced meditator or you've done this neurofeedback stuff that I'm talking about, there's actually a physical sensation of gratitude. It, it's like in your chest. You can feel it and you can amplify that. And when you 
you focus on the physical sensations of emotions, they all have a seat somewhere in the body, and the seat is in a different place in different people depending on where they came from. But you can use that to amplify the gratitude, and pretty soon you're like, wow, it, this is a wonderful place. And it doesn't matter if some terrorist did something, uh, something evil today. It doesn't matter if your revenues are up or your revenues are down or you, you, know, you got in a fight with your significant other like the world's still an amazing place. And if you just focus on that for a little while, it changes your nervous system. It changes your biology. And that's one of the hacks you can do. Wow. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. I love it. I really, 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 truly value, you know, that, what you're saying. And I, I, you know, I, I do my best to exercise the same. And, um, you know, those, those emotional muscles where, you know, I'm, I'm putting down what I'm grateful for and reminding myself that, you know, I, I've been given this huge opportunity to reach people and affect people. And, um, you know, I get emails all the time and thanking me for this. And um, I, I'm very, very grateful for, you know, all of it. If we can just, if we can actually stick with the emotional part of it and address anger, a little bit. Um, how how do you deal with it? I mean, is it something that is still part of who you are, or have you kind of hacked your way out of that as well? You know, anger always uh, always exists. Uh, it, it's a part of uh, it's a part of your ego, and your ego is a part of the operating system for keeping your meat alive. I, I call it the Labrador brain in, in the Bulletproof Diet. Uh, and by the way, it pissed me off to call that book Bulletproof Diet, but that's what makes people buy books. Like, like, I'm like, seriously, this is about willpower. This is about like everything you can do to kick more ass. Like, like how dare you call it a diet? Uh, honestly, <laughs> I don't even care if I have abs. I, I care about how I feel, right? Yeah. Uh, it, so <laughs> that's sort of... Uh, that sort of was a little anger right there, but it, it, it passes. And there's, there's actually an emotional hierarchy that's really important to understand. And, and it turns out the very worst place to be is apathy. Like if you're the place where you just don't give a shit, that is the darkest place you can be uh, because you, you can't even be bothered to care. And that apathy always hides sadness Right, so you're sad about something. So when you get past apathy, now you care. You're like, God, I got to face sadness. Now I have to like deal with the fact that I'm actually sad that that something's going on. And after that, then you can feel anger. So the good news is that if you are feeling angry about something, you just bypass two of the steps <laughs> that you might have had to go through. You can be grateful for that, by the way. Did you did you ever uh, get a chance to read Power versus Force? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He ta- he talks about that in that book where it kind of you go the apathy being the base state, and then you move through and and then anger is that pivotal state where you can kind of change the way you feel about a certain situation. It, like you, you have that, and and a lot of people, especially uh, younger people, and certainly when, when I was twenty five, I, I believe this very fervently. Like anger is a great source of energy, right, and. It, it's actually not a good source of motivation or energy. If you're acting out of anger, you will always make suboptimal decisions and it'll cost you emotionally and psychologically and biologically. But yeah, anger is a pivotal point. And what's hiding behind anger every single time is actually fear. And that's where, for me, neurofeedback and heart rate variability and just meditation in general have become really important because if you can see what it is that you're actually afraid of, it's never rational because fear is not rational. Fear is actually an emotion, which means it isn't a thought. And what we do, and, and this was transformative for me to understand, and, and, and I write about this on some of my blog posts and all, is it's that, look, your nervous system reacts and then you make up a logical story about why you did it. And we can prove this with electrodes. Like we can see it happening. You do it and then you tell yourself a story about it. And the same is fear of anger. You felt the anger, and then you tell yourself a story. I'm angry because, you know, my, my whatever. I'm, I'm angry. Here's my, my, one of my favorites. I'm angry because someone cut me off in traffic. Right. Well, actually, that's not why you're angry, right? You're angry for some other reason. And if you actually sit down and journal about it and feel into it and all that stuff, 
it it comes down to the fact that always behind your anger, there's fear. And God knows what your fear is and where that came from, but it's usually the first seven years of life, you get really bad programming. It doesn't matter how good your parents are, you just get bad programming because that's how the world works. So behind anger is fear, and behind fear is actually joy and freedom and all those good things. So if someone's angry about something, or if I'm angry about something, I'm like, well, okay, what am I actually afraid of here? Because that's what it means. And also, I don't ascribe the anger to me. Like, I don't get angry. Like, my nervous system gets angry. Like, I'm the good stuff. <laughs> so uh, my view of, of the brain is a little bit radical there, but uh, we are... The, the part of you that you identify as you right now, the rational parts that have some good feelings and all that stuff, um, that's basically a virtual machine running inside a piece of hardware. Like, like there's a different consciousness that runs your meat, and it's not a nice person. <laughs> and it wants hmm. to kill things, and it wants to eat everything, and, and it's got all... So that's what that is. Yeah, okay. it's got all the greed, it's got all the, all, all the violence, all the hate, all that kind of stuff. All right, so when someone comes to the, one of my pages or wants to insult me or whatever else, okay, I know what part of them is in charge. And what it is, it's their meat operating system. It's their Labrador brain. And, and they're acting out of, well, apathy, sadness, anger, or fear, right? They're not operating out of joy. And, like, that's where I hang out. <laughs> I'm operating out of a sense of mission. I know I'm helping a lot of people. I have you know, a wonderful family, and, like, I'm grateful, Right, so it's just a different place in the emotional hierarchy, and I, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that I've learned how to spend so much of my life in that state instead of those other horrible places. Uh, so, I, of course, you, I feel anger, but no, you, you take the anger, and you're like, okay, that's coming from my ego, and there's a reason for it, and I'm gonna let it go. Do you ever feel like you are kind of five or ten years ahead of everything you're doing and and maybe humanity is a bit primitive and and slow and kind of catching up that would be uh, a form of of ill will or aversion (laughs) that'd be a really egotistical thought i don't okay i can tell you that my entire life i'm i've lived in the future the first e-commerce ever on the planet was a t-shirt out of a dorm room. I remember I, I was interviewed by like almost a hundred different magazines when I'm like this 20 something year old, like early twenties uh, before like a lot of the cool changes that make that much easier now. And someone asked me like, like well, how's this gonna change things? I said, look, we won't need mail order catalogs in just five years. And, and I described Amazon. To this reporter, like Amazon didn't exist, but I described it, right? I could see it, and then I go to go to Silicon Valley, and like the very first co-location company, which is like like that enabled the changes in, in the internet uh, that we know today, that allow us to have the conversation we're having now. And in fact, probably some fiber that my company dealt with or buildings we built are between us right now, which is awesome. So that's just part of it like like I, I think about how things are going to be maybe I read too much science fiction as a kid but I don't think I'm an advanced creature I think that this is how it's supposed to be for everyone and there's just a lot of crap in the way and it's my job to just illuminate the crap and help people get rid of it in the the cheapest fastest laziest way possible life is supposed to be easy you're not supposed to be struggling and striving all the time and when you can stop struggling and striving, you can start gliding or coasting, and it's actually a lot more fun. It's just getting there for me took an enormous amount of, of heavy lifting and, frankly, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I learned a few things along the way, and that's why I have a, a neurofeedback training institute. That's why I have a, a content thing. That's why I write these books, because if I can spend 5,000 hours to write a book that takes you four hours to read. Like that's some of the most leveraged time you'll ever get. Wow, yeah. And that's what I do. Yeah, I, wow, man. I really, really appreciate your time, Dave. And and we're, we're about out of it. Um, I, you know, I really, truly respect your work, man. And, and I'm glad that you made the time to be here today. And just, uh, just thank you. Well, thanks, Xavier. I appreciate the work you're doing, uh, getting uh, getting the word out too. Just talking about the human experience, it's important stuff. And it's something that, that I think is shifting. You know, people are willing to talk about emotions and feelings and spiritual things. 
<laughs> you, you go back 20, 25 years, uh, if you talked about those things, you were ostracized from yeah. the boardroom and all that. And now you go to a boardroom and you're like, who's meditating? Yeah. And if you're not meditating, people sort of make fun of you. Okay. Maybe it's not quite that bad, but it is, uh, it, it's very widely accepted. So, uh, I'm things have changed. The paradigm has changed yes. and somehow it's filtered into this and, and yeah, and 10 years ago, I mean, maybe even earlier than 20 and it was, it was, it wasn't really heard of to go and, and, you know, meditate and people weren't, you know, and so now it's picking up and it's, it's a good thing. It's good. I mean, I'm glad that the global human consciousness is kind of waking up to what the planet is. And, you know, one of your, one of your other missions is, um, an ecological one where we're actually helping the planet and, you know, giving it, giving it its life back and being conscious of what we take from it. And, and that's what, it's another thing that I just really respect about you, man. Well, th- thanks so much. I guess we didn't have time to talk about that one, but yeah, you, you change, you change demand for good stuff the suppliers have to change. And that is happening, man. Shortages of grass-fed butter are leading to much more grassland being put in production to have healthier soil. Like, this is a hackable system, the whole planet. And it, it, everything, every decision you make, it, it, it goes one direction or the other. And you don't have to be anywhere near perfect. Just when you have an opportunity to know which of two decisions is the one that's better for you or better for the planet or hopefully both, just pick that one, especially if you don't care. <laughs> Right, like, like, oh, I was okay either way. Let me pick the one that had more benefit. Just, just yeah, think where it matters. Yeah, man. Wow, beautifully stated. So, Dave, where can uh, people pick up a copy of uh, your book? Where can people find your work? Well, head on over to bulletproof.com and try some of that brain octane oil I talked about. Try the bulletproof coffee beans that don't have a neurotoxin in them that's common in coffee, and uh, you can buy the book there. You can buy the book on Amazon, all over the place. I'm not kidding about the effect of, of the supplements and of the foods and of these other things. If you want to meditate better, you need stable energy in your brain. It, it's, it's just required. Being, uh, being in a weakened state while you're pushing really hard on personal growth doesn't make any sense and it never did. So fuel yourself perfectly and then meditate and see how your experience changes. Uh, that that's really meaningful bulletproof.com and bulletproof radio is on itunes and bulletproofexec.com there's north of a half a million words of content there all free for you yeah and i meant to ask you this and what what's in your stack right now what are you what are you supplementing right now well i'm about to go get some stem cells uh, (laughs) taken out of my uh, adipose tissue and then injected into my cerebral spinal fluid so i can actually grow more brain cells uh, that's happening next week. In fact, for people interested, I will have the physician who does that kind of work on stage at the Bulletproof Conference, September 23rd through 25th, bulletproofconference.com. Boom, got to plug in. But uh, that is uh, that means I've changed my stack. I've gone off all of the things that uh, typically make your blood thinner. So I'm taking less uh, turmeric, uh, krill oil and uh, several of the vitamins and a lot of the, the plant-based compounds that I use that increase uh, cerebral blood flow. I'm off of those. I'm taking aniracetam. I have had unfair advantage this morning. I've had upgraded aging this morning. I've had bulletproof coffee with lots of brain octane and the bulletproof upgraded collagen in it. Uh, let's see. I'm drinking some interesting uh, structured water. I've been spending a lot of time Uh, looking at this thing that we ignore in our body, which is that we're like 90% water and sort of like, let's take away water weight. Well, Gerald Pollack, who was on uh, Bulletproof Radio, just blew my mind talking about how actually water does different things. He's uh, a very prestigious scientist who's also speaking at the conference. So I'm really spending more time looking at the water in my cells than what I could do there. And that's all I've had today. It's just bulletproof coffee with a little bit of, of upgraded collagen. I put some of my vanilla in there. Vanilla has uh, some plant-based compounds similar to capsaicin. They're called val- uh, vanilloid activators. So I use some of that for its inflammatory properties. And let's, let's see. Wow. Yeah, a few Amazing. Of some stem cells for lunch and, and call it a day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, you guys heard it here. Uh, my guest is Dave Asprey, and you can get to his site, bulletproof.com. This is The Human Experience, and we will see you guys next week.